Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast with Mike Lewis and Doug Battle brought to you from Emory University. Doug, we've been talking about your college football fandom for quite a while, but you know what? College football is over for the year. Well, you know, football seasons never end anymore, right? But we have switched to, and I don't know if it's the big story of the weekend, but the New York football giants. Wow. So we're sticking with my relevant again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've, I haven't felt like the Giants have the horses this year to win a Super Bowl, but I, I got to say, I didn't necessarily feel that way in 2007 or 2011. So sometimes it's like the Giants teams that you least expect uh, to have playoff success for the ones that do. With that said, it, I think it was just exciting for Giants fans uh, to see Daniel Jones and Brian Dayball win that first playoff game, build some momentum, uh, regardless of what happens the okay. rest of the way. So let, let me ask you, uh, you know, that, and I, we got to be honest, you know, Trevor Lawrence is probably the winner. Uh, we, oh, we're yeah. taping before Dak Prescott versus Tom Brady, sort of probably the two best quarterback narratives going into the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, Trevor Lawrence probably won the weekend and we'll get to him in a, in a second. But was Daniel Jones, was this a coming of coming of age kind of a moment? Saquon Barkley said he's an elite quarterback. Uh I think the numbers were very – let me check the numbers here. The numbers were good, right? So 300 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Um, took three sacks. But in general, he's at the top of the list for the playoff performances so far. So was this – you know, did this did this met, resonate with you as a fan? Are you feeling uh, – Feeling really good about this because we we talked about Jones. Jones is right about at the end of that rookie deal, right? So the this Giants is it, yeah. Decision. This was he he didn't get that extension last year, so this year was make or break for him. Uh, big year for him. I've long been of the opinion, and if anyone's listened to the podcast consistently over the years, um, that Daniel Jones just hasn't had the right pieces around him, and I've been impressed with what he's done, with what he's had to work with. Uh, I think Brian Dayball has done a tremendous job with Jones and getting the best out of him and really building confidence in him. But going into the season, I think a lot of Giants fans were saying the Giants need to move on after the season. You know, maybe we can tank and get Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. Uh, Maybe we can be the big winners of the offseason and acquire Lamar Jackson. And I saw recently, I believe it was ESPN, uh, put out, you know, who would you rather build your franchise around this offseason? And it was Lamar Jackson for, I don't know what it is, $65 million or whatever. And Daniel Jones for 35 or whatever his price tag is going to be. Uh, and the majority of people are saying Daniel Jones. And so I personally was of that opinion prior simply because of the reasons, you know, with, with Jackson being a dual threat, uh, with the price tag and how much cap space he ties up. And with the trajectory typically of dual threat quarterbacks um, tending to decrease in productivity as as they get older. Uh, with that said, you know, Lamar Jackson's clearly playing at a high level when he is playing. And I think it's more of an injury concern. And the fact that Daniel Jones is a young quarterback. And like I've said for a while, I think if you take the same kid and you put him in that LSU offense that Joe Burrow was in, he might've gotten the hype that Joe Burrow got. And if you put him in that Bengals offense with, you know, chase at wide receiver and T Higgins and company, Joe Mixon at running back, I think he might've had that kind of success as well. And so 
He's a guy that, you know, I think the ceiling is there. I was not a fan of Daniel Jones when the Giants drafted him. I think that was a pick that a lot of people were scratching their heads on. Um, but he earned, as a fan, he earned my respect pretty early in his career, even when the Giants weren't winning. And so you love to see a guy like that kind of start to get recognition on a global scale or on a national scale at the very least, where people are starting to say, hey, this guy's legit. Hey, you know, the Giants might have something to build around, something to be excited about. Well, I, look, and and I don't know, maybe our preparate, my preparation could have been a little bit better on this. I just, you know, I asked the, the Google machine and and I looked up the the contract and it looks like the Giants have declined the the fifth year option. And so Jones is officially an unrestricted yep. free agent going into this offseason. So what has been the buzz around the, the New York Giants? Like still interested, still a possibility or... You know, I mean, you mentioned Lamar Jackson, and again, uh, another kind of interest, a really interesting quarterback story for the the, the playoffs, even though he did not participate. So, right. we'll, we'll, you know, we'll circle, we'll come back to Lamar in a second. So, what what's the relationship between Daniel Jones and the Giants, at least well, from the my, fan perspective? Yeah, from a fan perspective, I mean, my understanding is that, you know, first off, the fans have not. It's it's funny that. You know, I'm, I'm a Georgia fan, too, because it was a lot like this with Stetson Bennett, where the fans didn't want him. They wanted uh, him even uh, after who's older Stetson Bennett or Daniel Jones. Probably Stetson Bennett, <laughs> um, probably Stetson Bennett. But you got a guy that the fans, you know, aren't sold on and don't believe in until he has a level of success. And I remember last year with Stetson Bennett, where. There was a chance, I, I think he was open to transferring if he wasn't going to be the starting quarterback at Georgia the next season. And there, all of a sudden, there were all these fans that wanted him. And, and you know, it's like now that Daniel Jones, a lot of these fans who have been slandering him for years and every time he throws an interception saying, I told you, you know, I knew I was right about him. Uh, now that he's having a little bit of success, particularly in the playoffs where it's so hard, you know, where he now has as many playoff wins as Dak Prescott has been in the NFL for a much longer time and played on much better teams. Um, you know, I think that the fans are warming up as New York fans do. I think New York Giants fans are infamous for um, being very passionate in their emotions one way or another. I, with Eli Manning, he was the type of personality that handled it pretty well because he didn't let it get to him. But it's like one year, he's the most loathed person in Manhattan and the next year he's the Super Bowl MVP and you know people want him to be in the Hall of Fame and uh, so you know Daniel Jones is somewhere in the middle still and it's like if he has a bad performance on Sunday those those same people will say he's still not the guy you know he's he's Kirk Cousins he's never going to get us over the hump like we're, we can't be married to him we need to just you know cut bait now uh, they're still going to be those fans but I think as a whole the fan base has warmed up this year particularly seeing you talk a lot about the pairings of quarterbacks with head coaches and Brian Dable, uh, he believes in Daniel Jones and Daniel Jones seems to have a lot of confidence playing under him. So that marriage right there, I think, I think fans are more excited about that than Daniel Jones in and of itself, in and of himself, if that makes sense. And well, look at this. I mean, Doug, this is going to be a, it's going to be a really interesting off season for for Jones. I mean, you know, the the quarterback market has become. I, I think it's become crazy, I, and it's not crazy in that it's un, it's very predictable. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it has a lot of logic to it, right? In, in general, it's been that if you're recognized as a legitimate quarterback, 
a top 10-ish plan of player or top 15. If you're a top 15 player, someone's going to make the argument they're going to find a stat that says you're a top 10 guy, and then a team's going to pay you $40 million. And so if Daniel Jones continues with a playoff run, what does he look like in the free agent market? Is suddenly he getting $30 million, $35 million a year? It's It's, it's almost like one of these... It's almost like one of these guys that has a couple of games for the Patriots when Brady would be injured back in the day. Matt and Castle, suddenly, or- <laughs> yeah, and suddenly everyone needs the and needs the guy. It's he's going to be. You know, this is going to be a great off season for watching the the quarterback marketplace. Absolutely, and I'll tell you what with Daniel Jones. I mean, he he went salary wise. Like I think he went from backup quarterback salary to legitimate starting quarterback, so maybe top twenty quarterback salary just with his performance. He this, went from Mitch Trubisky right. to Kirk Cousins. Right. Perhaps. Okay. Yeah, perhaps. And during the regular season, but winning a playoff game, you know, I think that could be a little bit overvalued because it's a team effort. But with that said, Daniel Jones, I mean, he played a huge role. He really carried the team yesterday. And winning a playoff game, I think, solidifies in people's minds, okay, he's legit. Like that legitimizes. I remember with Lamar Jackson for the longest time. He would do great in the in the regular season, and then he would go and lose in the first round of the playoffs, and people would act like the regular season's a fluke. Like those games don't count. These are the games that count. And he doesn't have it. He doesn't have that gene. You know, LeBron James for the longest time losing in the finals. And you know, until he finally won one, there was this perception that he doesn't have it. Now that Daniel Jones has won just one playoff game, it's like people have legitimized him. I've heard people say he's a top 10 quarterback this week. And again, overreactions happen all the time in the NFL. It very well may be that. Nonetheless, we're looking at perception here, and right now that's the perception. If somehow, I mean, the Giants haven't won very many divisional games in Daniel Jones' tenure, and they've got the Eagles next. If they're able to beat the Philadelphia Eagles, who you know are highly favored in the NFC, Eagles the, beat the, both games this year. Yeah, okay. Daniel Jones is uh, drop you know, his value. His value is going to skyrocket. It's hard to beat a team three times in one year, right? I mean, that's right. And but for for Daniel Jones, I don't know if there's ever been a single game where a player could increase their value going into a contract year more than this game. I'm like, if he loses, he'll be fine. You know, he's still doing a lot better than he would have done last year. But if he if they win that game, if if the Giants win two playoff games, including the the Vikings and the Eagles, two teams that were pretty dominant in the NFC uh, throughout the season this year. You know, his value is going to skyrocket. And I think that, you know, it would probably be, I don't know, it's, it's going to drive up the whole market. And so we'll we'll see what happens. But uh, I think guys like Daniel Jones being a, you know, Daniel Jones being a free agent probably doesn't help Lamar Jackson uh, in, in his case. Because I do think teams look and see a younger guy who's, you know, thought of as a more traditional quarterback in terms of like his longevity in the league. He hasn't had the injury issues. And he's won a playoff games or won a playoff game. And so early in his career. And so I think that, you know, we've talked about Lamar Jackson all year long and, and how he's been driving up his value and is setting, you know, positioning himself. Oh, I got something in my eye. <laughs> positioning himself for a record deal. But, you know, this this whole Daniel Jones evolution might might be a problem. I don't you know, it's. You raise some good points, and it really will be interesting because, you know, of course, if he comes out next week and throws four interceptions, 
and the Giants get bounced from the playoffs, it's going to reset right. back down. But if he's if he's competitive, if he throws for three hundred yards, couple two three touchdowns, if it's competitive, even if he doesn't win, you know we haven't had the situation of truly these UFAs on the quarterback market. Mm-hmm. It's always been it's always been locked up. Right. You know you you mentioned uh, you know Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson's a funny one, and, and look, I don't know where to sort of. I don't know sort of the logical progression for talking about the quarterbacks in the playoffs or surrounding the playoffs. Uh, I mean, you raise the right issues when you're talking about Lamar Jackson and, and when you start to run the numbers, Jackson's a funny one. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like there's, there needs to be an additional analytic, you know, I'm not, I'm not advocating that I create it, but an expected number of games played per year. Right. And so I, I think Lamar Jackson missed what the last five, six games of the season. Uh, you know, he, he his contract negotiating style has been really kind of fascinating in terms of, you know, ne- representing himself, um, not signing the offered extension, not showing up to the Ravens playoff game, I think was a really bad look. But I, I can't remember a off season where you've got sort of multiple potential. And again, this is the funny thing, top 20 quarterbacks, top 10 quarterbacks, top 15 quarterbacks. Um, I'll give you one, you know, cause you mentioned that some people were talking about Daniel Jones being a top 10 quarterback. Mm-hmm. I've started to look at some of the numbers from this year. You know, who might be a top 10 quarterback? This think. kid down in Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence. When you look at the numbers throughout the season, you look at what he threw, the yardage he threw for, the the touchdown to interception ratio, all his numbers got better from year one to year two. And if history holds, you know that that two to year three year jump is is, is a, tends to be a big one. Trevor Lawrence, and again, a little bit of hero ball there too. Disastrous first half, epic second half. You know, I mentioned earlier overreactions. That first half, some of the stuff that was flying out there on on Twitter, I I saw that this is a worse playoff performance than TCU, um, that, you know, Trevor Lawrence, you know, we jumped the gun on Trevor Lawrence being better than Zach Wilson or whatever. You know, people were just throwing him under the bus. And I I thought he, you know, I was really impressed the way he handled it. He was kind of making light of it after the game you know almost set a record in the first half for interceptions thrown or might have set a record but you know hung in there and kept chopping and um you know got the win i you know uh, watching him this year i had a chance to see him in person this year and i was like what happened you know when did this happen when did he become he looks like the veteran in a lot of the games i've watched and you know, throwing the interceptions is a you know, that that's a young guy mistake. Like he looks like a rookie sometimes when he's throwing those picks, but having the composure to keep playing and keep fighting and lead his team to a comeback under that kind of adversity, under that kind of scrutiny, um, goes to show the caliber of leader that Trevor Lawrence is. And I think those intangibles are part, you know, a small part of why people are so excited about him coming into the league. And so I think you, you know, I'm going to take a flyer on him in fantasy next year if I can. I think he's. Maybe not had the first two years that Justin Herbert did, but he might have a better three and four year than Herbert did. And so, I mean, he's on he's on trajectory to, you know, to to really do something special. It seems, and it seems like Doug Peterson and he are a good coach player match, which might be all the difference. And you've mentioned this a million times. It seems like finding the right marriage between a coach and a quarterback seems to be the magic 
in the NFL. Well, and to be honest with you, I'm not even, you know, maybe it is a marriage. I mean, you're almost giving me a little more credit than I deserve. Part of my thinking has always been it, that it is kind of the coach, right? That the coach is the key. Um, but, you know, the, the coach, quarterback, marriage, as good a word as any, you know, that, that might actually be the, the, way, the way to look at this. But again, you know, boy, if you're, again, if you're interested in sports analytics and you want to do quarterback analytics, now we're talking about marriages between coaches and quarterbacks. You know, it, it just, again, highlights just how murky all this stuff gets. Yeah. Um, can we, can I, can I talk for a second about, uh, you mentioned players and their longevity in a season or how many games they play. I think that, you know, I think you're tapping into something that is not really often analyzed in the NFL. Um, people will say things like injury concern during the draft. If a player drops, uh, Justin Fields, for example, dropped and people were saying, well, he's got some medical issues and he's got some, but there's no tangible number to identify, you know, how valuable that is or is not how much it might cost your team. When I think, you know, going back to my Giants fandom, Eli Manning, if you look at his statistics for his career, Hall of Fame numbers, Hall of Fame yards. I mean, he's he's top 10 in so many categories. It's ridiculous uh, for a guy that largely during his career was kind of the butt of all jokes. People made fun of Eli. He threw a lot of interceptions. He, you know, he breathed with his mouth open a lot. And so he became a lot of memes. Um, I get paired compared to looking like Eli sometimes I did yesterday. People always say I look like a Giants quarterback, either Daniel Jones or Eli. I get compared to all the time. I don't really, I don't know, but I have a Jersey though for Eli. <laughs> um, but all that to say is that Eli, you know, for his career, he put up top 10 quarterback numbers, um, uh, by a lot of metrics. And yet he was the butt of all jokes while he was playing. It's because he didn't miss any games. He played for like, I don't know, 13 years without missing a game. Something along those lines. He and, it, and it's not because he was just tough. He didn't get injured. He didn't get injured. And when he had injuries, they were minor and he was tough. And so, and that's valuable. And he won two Super Bowls. You know, he wasn't missing playoff games. Um, not to use injury against Lamar Jackson, but just to say when you're evaluating a free agent like that and like how many games are they really going to play? I know in the NBA, like Anthony Davis pairing up with LeBron was the biggest deal in the world. Uh, but the problem is Anthony Davis is never available for important games. And he hasn't been over the years. The one year he was, they won the NBA finals. Uh, but since then, you know, it's it's you can never count on him to be available. And that would be my concern with a guy like Lamar Jackson. But I do think that's something where, you know, it's it's probably undervalued right now. And I think that there's an opportunity for the sports analysts out there to uh, find their their money ball metric. Well, it's it's almost like you need two two metrics, right? So the the metric I've been playing around with is this contribution of quarterback wins, but you mm -hmm. probably have to multiply that by the expected number of games. So, so you know, I pulled up hmm. I pulled up Lamar Jackson and uh, as a rookie, sixteen games, then fifteen games, fifteen games, <clears throat> then twelve games, and twelve games. So you know, missed four games and then missed five games. You know, I mean, look, this is always going to be the problem in sports. Uh, like, it's very easy to look at that data and go, well, there's a there's a clear trend. And then the counter argument is very quick. Well, this is really just a small sample size yeah. issue. But, you know, I, I suspect if you ask people, just kind of gut feel people around sports, doesn't even have to be around the NFL. Is Lamar Jackson going to have increasing injuries as the career goes on? 
I think the answer is going to be unambiguously yes, right? I mean, he's taking a, you know, he, he's going to take a ton of hits. He's it's just the the nature of the way he plays, and so mm-hmm. he's not going to get healthier, right? And and so if you're looking at a guy that is going to play three quarters, uh, I mean, so let's say he's a plus he's a plus three quarterback, but he's only going to play two thirds of the the season on average. Mm-hmm. Then certainly he's a plus two quarterback. And then you got to have a backup built into that. Right. And we, we saw that with Deshaun Watson this year. The, yeah. the Obviously, the Browns were viewing oh, him as a – The one I missed on. Yeah. <laughs> the, Browns the, the Browns were viewing him as a, I don't know, plus four, plus five win kind of quarterback. Um, but we were saying at the beginning, the question with Deshaun Watson isn't whether he's a, a good football player or not. It's is if he's going to be on the field. <laughs> and so – seeing that you know he's a difference in four wins in a season but he only plays in four games and then you know that's he's not gonna be the difference in four wins in four games that's over a 16 game period so um i you know i i think that adds a, a variable in sports that often gets overlooked but on the flip side i can see how it's tough to weigh it into decision making when you've got guys like frank gore for example tours acl twice at miami in college and had maybe the longest NFL career of a running back, definitely the most productive, like post 30, uh, like past being the age of 30 career. And and there's guys like that where, you know, sometimes injuries are just fluke things, ACLs, non-contact tears and guys come back and they're, they never get hurt again, or they're tough as nails and they're built like a tank. And I think Frank Gore is the perfect example for that. Uh, But someone like Lamar Jackson, you do get the feeling that, he's going to keep getting hurt. But again, like flip side again, and going back to basketball, Stephen Curry early in his basketball career, I remember thinking he's a great shooter and he's a great player, but he can never stay healthy. He's never going to be healthy enough to have a all time great type career. He had ankle problems. He had, you know, it was always lower body and it was like every game and he was missing every other game or he's missing weeks at a time and he would go score 50 points, but then he would be out for three weeks with a high ankle sprain. And that was early in his career. And it was kind of like looking at it, you're thinking he's not going to get healthier. He's not going to become less inclined to sprain his ankle as he get, you know, as he gets into his thirties, but he's had a very healthy later half of his career and obviously an all time great type career. And so it is hard to predict these injuries. Yeah. And, but you know, this is, this is kind of a good kind of conversation point for the role of analytics in sports because, it's so easy to sort of fall play to biases on both sides of this this equation, right? And so you'd have this, you know, let's call it a stereotype, you know. Oh, so the the running quarterback, well, these guys always kind of break down quickly and, mm-hmm. and they they deteriorate. But I think there's also this danger on the other side that you know people get they they get fixated on the the heroic performances, and it's like, well, Lamar Jackson, he's this guy's pretty much Superman. Right. Mm-hmm. And in the Baltimore community, he, Lamar Jackson's probably the biggest star in Baltimore sports. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I can't think of who else is probably the, it might be the whole DC metro area at this point. Since um, Ray Lewis. Yeah. And, and, and so then you've got this other kind of, oh, the fans love this guy. You know, these, these kind of forces pushing you to, pushing you to make the mistake. It's, it's almost like the analytics are trying to, they're trying to save you. I think on some of these things, right? It's like you, you just can't. There, there's always going to be this tendency to look at the human side because it's a person, a person you might like, a person who's had these great performances, you know, 
really important to the fan base. But yeah, but it's just like if I'm running the numbers and I'm looking at this and I, and I look at, uh, you know, frankly, and, and again, we'll talk a lot about quarterbacks in the off season, but you know, if Daniel Jones ends up being a, let's say a plus two quarterback and or more realistically, let's say Jones ends up being a plus one and a half quarterback and Jackson ends up being a plus two quarterback. And then I look at this and go, well, Jackson's only going to play three quarters of the games for the most part. And in general, he's probably going to be hurt more often at the end of the season than at the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. And Daniel Jones might be a guy that I could get for 10 or $15 million less I could very easily see that if you started to put the numbers together, that Daniel Jones would be the guy to pursue. Absolutely. And uh, I would imagine the Giants front office is starting to get a little bit nervous about that. And, you know, the the price that might be driven up by other teams seeing the value in Daniel Jones uh, and starting to bid for him. And so it will be a very interesting offseason in the NFL, not just in free agency with Lamar Jackson and with Daniel Jones and, and the rest of the free agents, but also in the draft. Uh, we've got C.J. Stroud recently declared. Bryce Young projected by many to go number one overall. And yet the team with the number one overall pick, the Chicago Bears, they have their guy, <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> Do they? Uh, yeah. And, and look, that is a great – I think that's a great conversation that reveals – how fans probably don't most fans don't truly think about the realities of NFL contracts. I I, I saw the um, I forget who it was. It was one of the ESPN talking heads. I think the former front office guy put that out there. The the idea that the Bears should trade Justin Fields for a number one and a number three, then draft Bryce Young from Alabama, and essentially re- reset it. Um, with maybe a, a, a higher, and again, this is where it gets interesting, right? And Doug, you tell me if I'm, you you feel free to react to this. A potentially higher level passer, uh, in, in Bryce Young, a better prospect. But I think the thing that's overlooked is two more years of cost control. Mm-hmm. And you look at these contracts and these guys are making, you know, $3 million, $4 million, $5 million, blah, blah, blah. And then it bumps up to $40 million. So a couple of years at a cost-controlled quarterback is is an incredibly valuable thing. Um, now, the fan reaction, the stuff I've seen on Twitter and Instagram says, no way, this guy is our guy. You've got to now invest around him. He's had the worst receivers. The, it's, it's always this litany of things. But, Doug, the thing that I haven't seen anyone address, what is, uh, what is um, Fields' actual trade value in the NFL? Are there general managers – that are going to give up a number one and a number three for Justin Fields. It's funny you ask that because I know almost for a fact two years ago when he was in the draft, certainly there were teams that would give up a first round pick and a third round pick for Justin Fields franchise quarterback. You know, it's like when these guys are completely green, they're more valuable than they are once they've got their worst two years behind them and are now probably entering their prime. Uh, because now there's bad tape on Justin Fields and we've seen the mistakes that he can make and we've seen him not be successful just like we did with Trevor Lawrence his first year and any of these young quarterbacks and so with the exception of like Justin Herbert for example who just lit it up from day one Um, and so it's like you know to me there's 
I almost feel like with Bryce Young versus Justin Fields, if you took both of them as prospects coming into the NFL at the same time, I would think they would be valued pretty equally. Uh, but Fields being two years older, and now it's like, okay, he wasn't, he's not Tom Brady yet. <laughs> and there's, it's up for debate. And with Bryce Young, it's like, we haven't seen him do anything bad ever. He's just awesome at Alabama. He's got the best receivers, the best line, you know, his competition's always inferior, just like Fields was at Ohio State. Hold on. It's inferior except for one game a year if they play Georgia. And then it's (laughs) it's even mad. No, seriously. Then it's the only game that Bryce Young ever plays where the talent level is equal is when they play Georgia. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I just feel like with Fields, I don't know. I don't know if I'd rather have Fields or Bryce Young. And I think it's a tough decision for that front office because yet you're right on the financial side it's like we could probably get a quarterback who's just as good who's going to be he's going to cost us a lot less these next three years and you know we can also get another draft pick and get a great receiver for him and we'd rather have a great quarterback and a great receiver than just a quarterback who might become great Um, a couple of stats on fields And, and again Analytics is probably maybe the theme for today is analytics is not what tells you what to do; it's what saves you from doing what you shouldn't. You know, maybe that you know. I, I don't know how to. I got to phrase that more succinct, succinctly. That it's like analytics just right. uh, causes you not to essentially f up badly. Yeah. Right? Yep. So you know, Fields had it was really those two games, right? So it was against uh, was it Miami and Detroit where he gained 178 on the ground and then 147 on the ground. That people are like, "Wow, superstar!" Right? Yeah, and he looked. You watched it, and you're like, "Is that Cam Newton? Unstoppable!" Right? But yeah, future MVP of the league, right? Um, Future MVP of the league. Yeah, but he also threw for more than 200 yards. I'm I'm eyeballing this twice last year. And that's the second coaching staff. I think that's that's three times last year. He threw for more than 200 yards, but again, 200 yards. Yeah. That's pretty dismal. in uh, today's NFL where Daniel Jones is getting 300 yards casually. Yeah. It's, they're, they're the evidence for the Bears fans, and I've had this discussion with some Bears fans in, in my family. They are all convinced, and they're convinced that you know, again, bad offensive line, bad Coach. receivers, bad running backs, and, bad coaches. And, yeah, I always hear it's like, well, he doesn't have the right play card, but then they switch yeah. it, and they have the same problem. But there's no evidence, and again, maybe this is the this is going to sound tough, but there's no evidence out there that he's an NFL quality passer. And, and I mean, I can almost hear the Bears fans saying, you know, I, again, professor doesn't know what he's talking about, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but all I'm saying is, again, the analytics can potentially save you something. There's no evidence that he can pass at a high level. Maybe he can. You know, time time will tell. Um, you know, they like they traded for Claypool from Pittsburgh, you know, for a second round pick. Claypool's a, n- a nice receiver. Didn't make a connection with, with Fields. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe they can draft some other guys around him. But – as an NFL general manager with essentially two years left on the rookie deal before you just have to start paying the guy $20 million a year, you're going to give up a number one and a number three or something along those lines for a guy that passed for 200, more than 200 yards two, three times last year and led his team to a, I don't know, a three-win season? 
in a market where you can sign Daniel Jones or Lamar Jackson in free agency. Yeah. Um, that's tough. So I think it'll be interesting to see what his trade value is because if it's a second and a third instead of a first and a third, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's a significantly different scenario for the bears. I think if the bears could get a first and a third for Justin Fields and start over with Bryce Young or CJ Stroud and, you know, use that third pick to help build the offensive line or receiving core. I think you do it because it's because it's, Fields is a guy with a lot of potential who we're not sure if he's the long-term fix at quarterback. So is Bryce Young, but Bryce Young's going to be cheaper. You're going to have him on a cheaper contract for longer, and you're going to get a bonus player with it where you can get another starter potentially for your team. And so if you're looking at that, you know, I think if it's the first and the third, I think they do it. But I, like you said, is a first and a third feasible for Fields at this point in his career? We've seen, you know, kind of the opposite situation would be like Josh Rosen two years in getting traded for, I don't know, I don't remember what round pick, certainly not as high of a pick as what he was drafted at. And sometimes these teams just cut their losses on those players, especially, particularly quarterbacks. <laughs> the Arizona Cardinals are continually cutting losses, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I, I don't know what Fields is worth. It'll be, I, I do know this. And this is just me echoing things you've said a million times. With Justin Fields, it's not going to just be a boring story. <laughs> There's going to be some drama. There's going to be, it's just, I don't know that it's who he is, but it's what surrounds him constantly. And it seems as though, you know, why not trade him to the Green Bay Packers and replace Aaron Rodgers? <laughs> like something crazy. I don't know. It's, yeah. it's Justin Fields. It's not going to, he's not going to just quietly have a good NFL career. It's going to, there's going to be some like drama. The criticisms of field are, and again, I've been talking about this for years now. For some reason, the, the criticisms of field are very. There, it's it's almost like people hesitate. They almost always start off by saying, "Great player, great player," and then throw out a couple, like the the stats I, I threw out about not throwing for more than you know two hundred yards or you know getting sacked constantly. Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating to watch. You know, the media darling, and again, you know, then those two those two. Game, those two games where he rushed for you know over 100 yards and 178 yards, I think in one of those games, man, that cemented his status as this kind of legendary media figure. But again, I, I don't know that there's any. I don't know that the NFL professionals are anywhere near as in love with Justin Fields than the fans and the media are. If I'm a Chicago Bears general manager or coach, I might like the kid's talent, but I might also be going, oh, this guy's gonna get me fired. You know, it's just, you know, they're, they're getting rid of me before him. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see what happens, but it, it is a precarious situation in Chicago. Number one pick. I, Hey, why not? Let's just get Bryce young and compete with Justin Fields. Justin Fields. He does great in quarterback battles. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Just, uh, you know, a couple of guys. And, and you know, it's, it's handles it very well. People would, say that's, people would say that's a ridiculous idea, but the Chicago Bears would still probably have one of the by one of the cheapest quarterback rooms in the NFL with exactly. both conference. Yeah, they're paying less than awesome. than the uh, than the Saints are paying for Taysom Hill. So, <laughs> and you got you got two potential. Hey, you could do a two quarterback system where they're both out there at the same time, really uh, in, innovating and changing the game out there. So. I don't know, but with Fields, like I said, I just can't imagine it being. You know what's remarkable in all this? 
What's that? And, and look, the Georgia coaching staff is obviously they, they know what they're they've won. You know what? Um, what 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 are they at now? Twenty nine for the last thirty games or something? Yeah, it's, so it's they, crazy. They know how to run a program, but can you imagine the havoc? That Justin Fields would have caused in college football if they had turned him loose as a running quarterback. Yeah, I mean that might have been something unheard well, for the ages. Georgia Georgia fans, are, I think they've let go of that yeah. now. But for like until Georgia won a national championship, there was always that we would have been absolutely dominant had we kept fields because he was dominant as a passer people forget what a great passer he was in college like he was threading the needle i remember that game against i think it was clemson uh he was getting crushed every play but he played his heart out that's when he kind of won me over as like an nfl prospect um but i mean justin fields set loose i think if georgia had had the coordinator that they have now on offense it would have happened they had a very conservative mindset offensively and the with the coaching change came a, a you know kind of a more gunslinger mentality and you know use that the strengths of all your players including running the football with the quarterback so i think with the right staff it would have happened and if he had been there later uh, but at the time he probably made the best move for himself given his strengths and given what georgia was trying to do with him and uh, i think a lot of georgia people understand that they just are wish it hadn't wish it had been different because that he would have i mean he would have won the heisman he would have won national championships it would have been something to see and you know as much as georgia's got to regret letting him go um i always think about uh ohio state and passing on burrow letting him walk so that they could have cj not cj stroud uh dwayne haskins and then later Justin Fields, neither of whom won a national championship while Burrow won his at LSU and, and put up one of the best seasons in college football history. So it's, I don't know, everybody kind of lost something in those trades. It's, Quarterback evaluation seems to be a real, you know, seems to be a real challenge a lot of the, a lot of times. I mean, and, you know, we go through a, every year when you look back on drafts, you see that. It, it is absolutely fascinating where some of these guys where you look at and go, how did you miss on that? Right. And, yeah. and Joe Burrow, you know, who, who Joe knows? Burrow. You know, maybe the swagger was too much in the locker room. Maybe the coach didn't want to have part of that, but it's kind of, it's, it's truly, it's truly remarkable because Doug, I'll be honest with you as the playoffs keep going, makes me happy that Joe, Bur- Joe Burrow is there. Oh yeah. I'm, and I, I'm rooting for the Bengals. Cause like, I, I want him back on the microphone on those press conferences. I want him center stage. And it's already reminding me of Brady in the sense that like they're playing the Ravens this last week and the Ravens had a shot technically to win even at the end of the game. But it's like, it's Joe Burrow. Like he's going to shake hands at the end of the game as the winner. That's just what's going to happen. And that's how it, that's how the story ends. We just have to, we're going to watch and see what happens before that. Uh, But we we already know how it ends in in a game like that uh, against a young quarterback who doesn't have any playoff experience. And so, um, and I, you know, I, I would have felt the same way if it was against Lamar Jackson, to be frank, even though I think a lot of people watch that game and would say if Lamar had played the Ravens win that ball game. Uh, but it's Joe Burrow. It's like he's, he was going to win. He was yeah, going to find don't... a way against. And now who's he got next? Does he have uh, Josh Allen and the Bills, I think, which is going to be must watch TV for anyone who's ever liked football to any extent. Um, two great young quarterbacks, two relatively young teams that are. I've been on the rise over the last few years. That feels like an AFC championship. But those narratives change so rapidly, right? I mean, I almost feel like the takeaway from the Bills game was that 
yeah, Josh Allen is a great quarterback, but he gets a little antsy in the playoffs and starts throwing some interceptions. Again, you know, sort of the, the foolishness of this in terms of right. how quickly the the storyline spread for essentially next day's sports center, right? My my takeaway from watching Burrow and the Bengals is that that offensive line is still not there. And he is every time I watch him and have watched him in the NFL, I'm just like hoping he gets up every play because he takes so many hits. Uh, and of course, he, he tours ACL year one, has stayed healthy since then somehow. But man, he, he, he does not have the best offensive line situation. I know the Bengals did a lot to try to improve it over the offseason. Didn't work very well. Um, and I think that's going to be what handicaps the Bengals moving forward. But last year, they made it to the Super Bowl with a bad offensive line, uh, any other, as did the Chiefs the year before. So, uh, any other, I mean, you know, as we go into the playoffs, the narratives will, the storylines will start to really kind of solidify and, and the, the drama will build naturally. Like, and, and like I said, all we can hope for. You know, I'm sorry. And again, this is this is a little bit of a fanboy kind of hope. Man, I, I I root for Burrow over Patrick Mahomes, and he, you know, in, in some ways, it's like, and look, we're we're taping this on Monday before the final game of the Wild Card Weekend, which is Tom Brady and the Buccaneers versus Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. The boys, you know, talk about narratives that just kind of write themselves. We we could almost tape two minutes on either direction in terms of how that goes, but we won't, right. you know, we won't speculate. Any other quarterbacks you want to talk about? I mean, Tua yeah. is an interesting one. Um, Aaron Rodgers, another interesting one. I mean, that's always this compelling, these compelling dramas. Yeah, with Tua, I am actually concerned for Tua. When I played football, I'm pretty sure they told us, like, if you have three concussions, you're done. Like, no more football for you. That's one too many. And I'm pretty sure he's had that many this year. I could be wrong, but I swear I've seen Tua have like eight concussions in his career between college and the NFL. He That is an injury-prone dude and was coming into the league. I thought he was going to have an RG3-like career where he would light it up when he was healthy, but not stay healthy long enough. Um, he he stays healthy for longer stints than I thought he would. But he's, can, we, can we highlight one of those? Was it the first or the second concussion? When he had spasms on the field and the fingers were doing the weird things, yeah, it's it's, it's scary. It's it, scary. It's more than, maybe it was three concussions, but it seems like it was more than three concussions. That one yeah, was very, I think, severe. After, I mean, of course, the Demar Hamlin injury was not a head injury, but that that kind of situation just. I look at a guy like Tua, who's seems like a great kid, obviously a great competitor. And, you know, you just hope he, you just hope he stays healthy and that is, you know, he's able to avoid some of the serious uh, repercussions that can come from playing this game at this level. And, you know, right. I got to say, I think okay. a lot of pe- pe- Doug, people before you go on, if you're Miami, yeah. are you thinking about Daniel Jones and Lamar Jackson? I'd rather I mean, have DJ. Yeah, this is a this is a cold business on some level. Right. And, you know, who was the starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers at the beginning of the year? Rock- Oh, I was, was going to say now. Um, yeah, Trey Lance. You know, the, these heroes, these kind of legends, rapidly fade from memory when you know when, when that league is when that league is this brutal sport and when that league is done with it. So, who'd you say you would go with if if you're Miami? To I, I said no. I said I'd go with DJ Daniel Jones. Yeah. Uh, just just because of not because he has a higher you know he's going to play better on any given Sunday. Uh, more so that I feel like there's a better chance he'll be playing in five years. Mm-hmm. Um, Tua, I just really am concerned that, you know, like if I were his family, I would, I would t- 
talk to him and maybe consider retiring because of, you know, and Andrew Luck did it. I know that sounds far-fetched. Andrew Luck did it. And, you know, uh, this last week I was going to say, I think Lamar Jackson took a lot of criticism for not playing because of his injury. And I think that it's easy to put a story together and you can see how, you know, he doesn't want to ruin his payday. He's about to get it. You know, he don't want to risk injury in that last game. And, and, and RG three came out and tweeted, like he did the right thing for himself. And I wish I had done that. I was such a competitor and I didn't have people around me telling me, Hey, like think about what's best for your long term. And you don't want to ruin your career over this one game, even if it is in the playoffs. And so RG three came out and supported him on Twitter. I remember watching that RG three game and, and just thinking, take him out of the game, please take him out before he gets hurt worse. And then it happened. And that was his whole career. And, and with Tua, it's like almost every time I watch him, I feel that same way. Um, and so he's, a, he's a guy that you, you just want to see him stay healthy and, and, you know, not take any more shots to the head. But I also wonder like scientifically, is he beyond the point of where you're supposed to hang it up as far as, concussions specifically and i don't know i don't know if that was just a number they threw out at us as kids like oh if you get that third one like if that's just totally arbitrary if there's any but i mean i know it couldn't be good for you to continually take the kind of shots and have the kind of injuries he's had yeah i mean when you think back on this season those might be the two the two incidents that i will remember going forward the the hamlin i'll never forget that injury i mean i don't i don't know what you call that um, the yeah, Hamlin injury, resuscitation, yeah, on um, the field, and the Tua concussion with the, the 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 spasms going on. It's you know that might be the thing that's most remembered from this NFL season, and that's uh, it's a tough thing for the NFL. But yeah, and it's I think it's scary for the players. I think that you know I think but for you're talking about the NFL, they've kind of find a solution that that is safer for these players because it, ta- I mean, they were, they were so close to some, to yeah. the worst thing imaginable happening. And it feels, it feel, I hate to say it, but it feels inevitable. It feels as though it's a matter of time, the way things are trending, the way play, I know they've made some rule changes as far as when they throw flags or whatnot um, to try to protect players, but it's inevitable. There are collisions on the field and Things are happening, and, and it's just like at some point, you know, if technology doesn't develop, whether it's the helmet technology or or whatnot, um, you know, the NFL's got to be thinking about that and thinking about the long-term future of the sport as well as its fandom and fan base and the ethical side of what they're doing. Because I think I've heard, you know, you and I have both heard criticisms of we've got rich people using these athletes to get richer um at their own at the athlete's expense as far as their livelihood you know their ability to live healthily as far as cte or an injury like demar hamlin's or something of that nature and i think that that's i mean the nfl has got to consider that how that's perceived and and what the right thing to do is and how i mean i i wouldn't want to be the one making those decisions i'll say that yeah i don't think there's any solution is the problem right i mean right I mean, obviously, you know, it's it's a continuing story that youth participation in football drops every year. You know, obviously, I've looked at, uh, you know, I spend a lot of time looking at youth fandom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sports fandom is cratering among amongst the youth. Right. Uh, 
I don't know what the answer is though, because I like I'm old enough to sort of have a little bit of a different perspective on it. In that, you know, I remember Daryl Stingley, um, the the Patriots wide receiver in the '70s, who ended up paralyzed hmm. um, by um, what was it one of the one of the Oakland Raider players mm-hmm. that you know we we've had all this these movements to protect the quarterbacks to um, you know eliminate targeting and spearing. I don't know that it makes any difference, right? I mean, the game is just so inherently violent. violent. The players are so – and look, it, it's one of these paradoxes, right, that the more safety equipment you put on people, the more reckless they're going to behave and the more well, dangerous where, the game becomes. It's, that's where rugby fans will look at it and they'll say, just don't wear pads. That's the yeah. that's the key because guys aren't going to start hitting – they're not going to be hitting themselves in the head if they're not wearing pads and in football – and I'm you know, I think you raise shoulder a- to you. I mean, it's it's literally everything, right? I'm not going to hit you with my shoulder in the same way. It's going to be more of wrapping people up. Yeah, um, I, I think you raise a good point about just the inherent violence of the sport. I remember playing football and kind of looking at targeting now, and it's it's an interesting rule to me because they'll throw a flag if there's an isolated incident of helmet to helmet somewhere in open field, if it's a quarterback and a defensive end. If it's a receiver and a safety, um, there's helmet to helmet contact by at least ten players on the field every single play. If you're if you're a lineman, you're going head on into somebody. There's a fullback coming. Your defensive end, you come off, you're getting smacked in the head. I mean, it is it is constant helmet to helmet contact for most of the players on the field, and it's only when it's an open field that it's a penalty or when it's viewed as dangerous. Uh, but you know, obviously, with some of the science in recent years that have raised concerns, I think with a lot of parents not wanting their kids to play football, part of the lack of uh, or the dropout and in, in interest, um, you know, there's there's so much of it all over the field. It's like, how how are you going to keep all of that from happening in this day, the same sport? Is it going to become flag football? Do they? I know in practice they wear those like kind of gloves over their helmets that have little pads on them. Yeah. Like, are they going to are they going to start wearing those for the actual games? I I don't know. I don't know what they do. Uh, I don't have a recommendation. I just simply make an observation that, you know, it it's kind of the the elephant in the room, I think, for the NFL with like with Damar Hamlin's situation, with Tua Tungavailoa's situation, with the when those are the two things that come to your mind when you think of the 2022 NFL season, the NFL they've got, you know, they've got a lot of pressure as far as player safety is concerned and they've got to find some solutions or they're just always going to be uh, the center of controversy, which is not where they want to be. Or a guy like Trey Lance. I mean, it's, it's always remarkable how quickly fans forget how quickly you forget about a play. I mean, it's the very rare player that isn't almost immediately forgotten when they're carted off in an injury, if they never come back again. Hmm. Um, Yeah. I I think, I, I think Brock Purdy, uh, has kind of stolen the. If Trey Lance were having the career slash postseason that Brock Purdy has had, uh, he would be on the cover of Sports Illustrated this week. You know, he'd be the talk of the town, particularly in San Francisco. They'd be so fired up about him. And Brock Purdy, I I have the feeling. Of course, this is going to air tomorrow. So if the, if Brady loses tonight. I'll look like an idiot, but whatever. You've got to you got to do that sometimes. Uh, <laughs> I, I've got a feeling we're going to see Brady versus Purdy, and the storyline's going to be, you know, could he be the next Brady? Could he be the next late drafted quarterback, overlooked his whole life, who becomes a star once he's at the highest level, and going up against the guy who is that and has been that and has been that, you know, has been the greatest. 
Um, I see that being the storyline. The stories always write themselves in the NFL. It'll it'll be, uh, you know, there's always a great story no matter what happens, whether it's the Cowboys or the Bucks tonight. But um, Tom Brady seven and zero against the Bucks. I I'm I mean against the uh, boys and Cowboys haven't had the best playoff record in my lifetime. So I'm I'm predicting the Brock Purdy versus Tom Brady and and Brock Purdy kind of being a bigger storyline moving forward. But man, we talk about off season quarterbacks free agency what a situation in san francisco where you're going to have trey lance hopefully coming back from an injury brock purdy coming off at least one playoff win jimmy garoppolo coming off of a playoff leading i mean he led the team to the playoffs in the season inherited a, a tough situation and you know a year where he was supposed to leave already and led them pretty far and Brock Purdy's picked up where he left off and everyone forgot about Jimmy G again which tends to happen with him okay I don't know exactly what I I don't know how legitimate any of this is as you were talking about that I just typed in Trey Lance and the top story that came up 49ers interested in signing Tom Brady commanders trade (laughs) Trey Lance so I, you know, I'm not going to get into the validity or seriousness of any of that, but every year the yeah. NFL wins, right? It wins. It and, wins. And, you, and you just sort of go through the, you go through the, you can sort of quickly go through a lot of these narratives already and they're just going to get increase as the playoff goes on. Is Aaron Rodgers so mad at the Packers that they need to move him despite also owing him $58 million? Um, you know, are we go- are they going to trade Justin Fields? Is Tua Tagalo, is Tua, again, I always use the, let you say the last name. Is Tua, the- yeah, is Tua going to retire? It's, and you're right. That, that's San Francisco. That's an amazing quarterback room to see how this shakes out, right? That, you know, and it's, it's almost like I want to make a prediction that their quarterback starting opening day next year will be Jimmy G. I, I kind of see Jimmy G for like the Dolphins or something. <laughs> also, what happens with Baker Mayfield? Dude came in, the Rams are already done for the year and came in and played lights out and put on a show for everyone and reminded everyone why they once overvalued him. And I think he's on contract there, but I'd imagine he's got some trade value for the Rams in a league where there's probably not 30 quarterbacks better than him and a lot of teams looking for a starter. Uh, That's another interesting situation. But it really, I mean... There's there's almost infinite quarterback stories you go across the league right now, and particularly this time of year where the good ones are in the playoffs and the bad one or the ones that haven't been successful, you're figuring out where they're going to be moving on to or who they're going to be competing with. Um, so the, the NFL they they don't have to. I saw a thing after there was a conspiracy theory after the Jaguars win that it was scripted because Trevor Lawrence in his press or not and on his on field interview he said. You couldn't have written a better script. And some fans of the opposing team took that and said the NFL wrote a script and it was the perfect script. And that's what he's saying is that the NFL wrote the perfect script. But I mean, the bottom line is they don't have to script anything. They wouldn't need to because no matter what happens, it ends up being a great story. I think that the college football playoff marketing this year was pretty smart doing like the greatest story ever told and having a storybook where they're opening and you're seeing these games and you're seeing and then they're turning what's going to happen in the next chapter it's like we don't know it's a story we're watching in real time and of course that ties back to your 
Jay Busby podcast, which I highly recommend for those of you interested in storytelling and analytics. But uh, but the NFL, it's 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 real time stories. They don't have to script. No, I mean they've set, and again, it's the beauty of how they've set things up. Right, mm-hmm. they've designed it or it evolved to be something where the stories just come out in a beautiful fashion. Okay, Doug, I'm looking at the clock, so. We will uh, obviously be talking more about the NFL quarterbacks and the playoffs over the next few weeks leading into the Super Bowl. In terms of pop culture, you got to be excited. The Mandalorian trailer is dropping tonight during the – it will be dropping yesterday. You excited? Yeah, man. I – any any new Star Wars, like – it's kind of funny because they've let me down over and over and over and over and over again with Disney. And I can't help it. Like I, I haven't had a Disney subscription since Andor, um, but I saw that the animated show bad batch has a new season and I couldn't help myself. I, I got that subscription. I started watching it because it's like, I have FOMO when it comes to that whole universe. And I think a lot of fans are this way. And I think people like Marvel and star Wars and these huge, uh, properties monetize that very well uh, where they're just constantly putting out stuff and you feel like you have to watch it even if you probably aren't going to like it. Um, I've enjoyed Bad Batch. I, I always enjoy the animated side of what they're doing. But Mandalorian, of course, being the probably most successful original uh, thing that Disney has done with Star Wars with a third and, and conclusive maybe uh, I don't know, season. But- yeah, I wonder, that, I wonder if that's kind of a key point that they did something original, right? <laughs> kind of that they didn't, you know. Because look, I'm I'm looking forward to the Mandalorian coming out. That's I, I agree. I think that's been the strongest thing that Disney has done with Star Wars. Yeah. Um. You know, in contrast, I I don't I doubt that you've watched this. You know, I was watching the Scooby Doo reboot on HBO <laughs> Velma. Perhaps the worst thing I have ever seen in term, and, yeah. and so bad. And you, I think you just ask yourself the question of why are they destroying someone else's intellectual property? Why, you know, why not create some new? It's, idea? it's intellectual vandalism, Mike. Yeah, no, I, I th- it's it's like cultural vandalism. It's just it's, it's the destruction. <laughs> like it's, it's a silly kind of Saturday morning cartoon, but the destruction of it. I think has been viewed as incredibly almost offensive across the board. It has the lowest ratings I've ever seen on places like Rotten Tomatoes. Um, so I got a, I got a rant for just a sec uh, on the, on the same subject. So <laughs> I, I, it bothers me that there are stories that are good stories that have lead characters, you know, protagonists, antagonists, as well as supporting characters and then nowadays, it's like we decided, okay, all the good stories have already been told, and all that's left is to just tell the lesser stories of those supporting actors who were never meant to be the lead because their character doesn't have that much to them other than being a supporting character. And so it's like, let's make a movie about Han Solo. Let's make, they're doing a TV show about Penguin and Batman. It's like, we want to see Batman. <laughs> Um, we, you know, why are we doing Penguin? Why are we doing Velma instead of Shaggy and Scooby-Doo and the whole group? Why are we doing like every single, uh, I mean, of course we've seen this with the Avengers and it turning into everybody there's ever been a comic book about, and then their sidekick gets their own movie. And then there's their 
special significant other gets their own show and then it and it's like we're watching these like minor minor stories in this much bigger grand scheme of things and it feels so minor it feels it feels like that with lord of the rings uh tv rings of power we're like we've already seen the ultimate story and this is just like maybe one page out of like uh appendix for the the grand scheme of that story and that that's how everything is now uh it's exhausting <laughs> as a consumer when you want to you want something to feel grand i remember going to see revenge of the sith and feeling like this is the ultimate conclusion to this huge story or, or watching for the first time the last lord of the rings film uh return of the king and fe- it feeling so ultimate and now it's like well you might have thought that was cool but remember that one elf from that movie well 30 years before that he was in an elvish village and he was flirting with women and that could get its own show that would be pretty cool um i i it's exhausting there's a lot of truth to what you're saying remember (laughs) that side elf well they were really the hero in their own mind it's just brutal 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 stuff yeah okay let's wrap it up uh let's wrap it up there Uh, you know as always more intellectual vandalism yeah my new term at www.fandomanalytics.com until next time thanks